But really, right now, today, that you know, I'm most worried about is 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 it's the explosion in floating rate date. A lot of these things went into CRE CLOs um, that had higher leverage points, and you know, their two and a half coupon is now eight or nine, and and you know, it's just it's kind of a slow moving uh, train wreck right now. Good morning and welcome to Deconstruct, a podcast from The Real Deal. It's Monday, October 23rd, and we're your hosts. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. Glad to have you back, Bella. Hope your vacation was good. It was. I went to Japan, which was really, really fun. Um, it was definitely weird not being, <laughs> only hearing your voice <laughs> and not being on, um, but it's good to be back. <laughs> so today we are taking another step into the universe of commercial mortgage-backed securities. We're looking at the distress that is hitting the market. Right. So if you're in real estate, you have undoubtedly heard about the upcoming wall of maturities that's sort of breaking right now, actually. That's affecting all of commercial real estate, but the sectors that the industry is really eyeing right now are office and multifamily. Every other week, we've told you about another office landlord that has defaulted on their debt or botched a refinancing attempt. We've actually got another deed in lieu of foreclosure for you today. And multifamily, albeit, is not dealing with the same existential threat as office, but the swell in deals that were done a few years back with short-term floating rate debt is a cause for concern. So we'll touch on a bit. So we'll touch on that a bit in this episode and more in others. So both asset classes are challenged right now. And that's a big deal for investors because many of the loans that are struggling are CMBS deals, meaning they're bundled together and sold as bonds. So investors have a share and a say in what goes down with these debts. Today, we're talking with someone who is actively working to short the market, Dan McNamara. He's the founder and chief investment officer of Pulpit Capital, which invests in CMBS deals. The firm finds short and long opportunities for CMBS, meaning sometimes they'll bet a security's value will fall, other times betting it will rise. And Dan started the firm in 2021 really as a contrarian. He thought that there was this rally in the CMBS markets that seemed really disconnected from what was happening on the ground, the shifts that we were seeing across commercial asset classes like office, for example. So we'll get into that in a few minutes. But first, here's the news of last week. So a couple of months ago at this point, we referenced a class action lawsuit filed against Grant Cardone. He's a multifamily mogul, big name on the event circuit. And he's a syndicator, someone who pulls investor money to buy commercial real estate. So the bottom line here is Cardone is off the hook in this particular case. But the specifics are interesting. If I remember correctly, the plaintiff who had invested with Cardone alleged that Cardone had ignored SEC warnings or something like that? Yeah. So the plaintiff, Louis Pino, claimed that an SEC enforcement lawyer had flagged an Instagram post Cardone had made back in 2019 when he said investors could earn tens of thousands of dollars in distributions if they made an investment of $220,000 in one of his funds. And Pino said that this was misleading because Cardone had actually suspended payments in April and May of 2020. Okay. And I thought the court ruled against him in that, right? In, against Pino. 
Yes, a judge said documents provided to investors disclose that distributions would be at the discretion of our manager. That's in quotes. So Cardone was covered by the fine print there. But then last year, an appeals court reinstated the lawsuit. Louis Pino died in June, and the same month, the complaint was amended to list his daughter, Christine, as the plaintiff. Okay, so so why was it dismissed? Kind of a womp-womp answer, but an L.A. judge ruled that Christine Pino could not file an amended complaint. But the suit and our coverage of it definitely stirred up Cardone. He posted a video on his YouTube channel last weekend, and it's as colorful as you would expect. Here's a clip. Hey, Grant Cardone here. I just want to give a big shout out to some of you scum magazines out there. I'm going to go ahead and shout you guys out, by the way. This is my opinion. I know that's how y'all hide under all your bullshit of calling people frauds and scams and whatever else you've called people. I know what you call me. Okay. First of all, you guys are real deal. The real deal. Okay. Pretend to be real estate magazine. Yeah, it reminds me of Rise 48's rebuttal of your syndicator story this summer. Yeah, well, we love a shout out. So, Susanna, you had the story about CIM Group and Q Super handing the keys back on 1440 Broadway. What's the deal there? Yeah. So this was kind of a funny turn of events. The day before we published the story that I had written about WeWork CMBS exposure, Um, basically looking at landlords who owe securitized debt and have WeWork as a top five tenant. And the news hook there is that WeWork is struggling financially to the point where people have speculated that it could face bankruptcy. And last month, it told investors it would rework nearly all of its leases. So nail biting among landlords after that. All of that being said, 1440 Broadway was one of those buildings where WeWork has a big footprint, and I included it in the story. Its lease comprised a little over 40% of the building's rentable area, and it's one of their leases that they rent out to other companies. So this building in particular, WeWork actually just re-signed an agreement with Amazon to use the space. Got it. So what went down there? Yeah. So the day after I highlighted 1440 Broadway as one of the buildings most exposed from an occupancy standpoint, TREP released this news alert that the building was going to be deeded back to its lender. It's a big deal for any building because it shows that the owner doesn't want to or isn't able to pay off the debt that the owner would rather just get out of the deal entirely. Our listeners will probably and hopefully remember our conversation with RXR Realty's Scott Reckler. He opted to do the same with a couple of buildings as sort of this preventative approach to dealing with distress. Right. So in this case, Trapp says the building went to special servicing in October and afterwards CIM opted to hand back the keys. It also reported that WeWork was no longer, quote, listed as a tenant, which would inform why it might want to get out of that deal. It's tough to fill space right now and WeWork had a lot of it. What did WeWork say to that? A spokesperson for the firm said it's still there, which we, of course, included in the article. And CIM basically said that because this deal is CMBS, it has to go back to special servicing to be worked out. CIM didn't comment on TREP's claim that the deed went back to the lender. And a high-profile antitrust lawsuit over the National Association of Realtors' participation rule kicked off last Monday. Tell us about the participation rule. Right. So it's an NAR policy that requires brokers who list a deal 
so the broker that works with the seller, to offer compensation to the broker that represents the buyer. And the plaintiffs in this class action suit, home sellers, allege that NAR colluded with some of the country's biggest brokerage to hike up agents' pay. And that's a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. Okay, so wrapping my head around this, is the idea that the seller's agent was sort of in bed with the buyer's agent? So like if the seller's agent is paying the buyer's agent commission, the buyer's agent's commission, it may not be in the best interest of the buyer's agent to negotiate a lower price. That's the gist, yes. And NAR is really getting it from all sides here. Bloomberg reported last week that the DOJ, the Department of Justice, was considering opening its own case against NAR. It had been investigating the trade group for years for alleged antitrust behavior. And it's particularly interested in the commission sharing system that we just discussed. And here's some Trump news to round us out. The Trump organization is trying to throw Cushman and Wakefield under the bus for valuations of two properties, both of which are at the center of the civil fraud trial against the Trump organization. And the Cushman Wakefield executive, a former executive, actually is not having it. As a refresher, the trial centers around accusations that Trump and the Trump organization inflated the value of his real estate portfolio on different loan and insurance applications. Yes. So one former Cushman and Wakefield exec, Douglas Larson, had assessed Trump properties for lenders But on the stand last week, he said he was shocked to have been repeatedly cited as an outside expert on valuation spreadsheets. He said it was, quote, inappropriate and inaccurate, and an outside appraisal should have been ordered. So we will continue to follow the Trump suit um, as it progresses. Definitely. So let's jump to our interview for today. about, you know, 2021, obviously the pandemic had hit. At first, there seemed to be, you know, so much uncertainty that people were like, I don't know where to put my capital, you know. Um, Tell me what you saw in when the pandemic first hit kind of in terms of CMBS sentiment. Yeah, no. So, I mean, obviously the in 2020, uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, no one knew anything, whether it was related to office or retail. And, you know, there's a lot of scared uh, folks fleeing. Uh, our market specifically, um, and probably rightfully so. But what was so amazing was the, you know, the obviously the government intervention and and how it kind of cured everything um, in our market. Um, in fact, I, I couldn't believe the recovery and how how swift it was in 2020. Um, and and at that point, I was a CMBS portfolio manager at Matlin Patterson, and um, you know, it, we were excited about the opportunity to put money to work, but but in reality, that that window shut very quickly. Um, so, you know, fast forward to 2021 and it almost seemed like a, just another relentless rally in the CMBS credit markets. And, and a lot of times it it almost felt dislocated to the fundamental issues we were seeing in commercial real estate. So when we launched in November of 2021 at Popo, you know, our biggest thing was, you know, not what we were going to short. We kind of knew what we were, we were looking to target and, and primarily office space and lower quality office space, but it was, what were we going to do on the long side? Um, and you know, the market dynamics changed quickly throughout 2022. Um, and you know, our focus really was on the long side of the portfolio was, was buying interest only securities because we really felt like 
what the commercial real estate market does best is is kind of kick the can, extend and pretend, and you know the one security that will be ben- you know benefit from that stuff is interest only securities in our market. Can you explain a little bit more for you know those maybe a little bit unfamiliar? What's an interest only security? Absolutely. Um, so interest only securities are just um, basically the excess um, interest from a CMBS trust. And, and um, so if you, if you think about it and you take a step back very broadly and simply um, a large, you know, JP Morgan will, will have 50 loans go into a securitization, they'll sell the bonds and, and let's just make up a number. Let's say, you know, the, the, the mortgage, uh, the, the, the mortgages under not underneath them are about 6%. Well, when they sell the bonds, maybe they can sell the bonds at five and three quarters. So um, there's a lot of excess interest. And instead of just JP Morgan or whatever Wall Street firm sitting on that and collecting their excess interest um, on an annual or monthly basis, what they do is they create an interest only strip, um, which is just the strips of cash flow off the CMBS deal. And um, they sell them to hedge funds and money managers. Um, But what we really like about them today is they sit at the top of the waterfall. So there's not a lot of credit um, worries. Uh, but what they benefit from is when all this, all these maturities start to hit um, and no one can refi um, and extensions are given, which we're seeing a lot of. TREP just came out with a report about how CMBS extensions are on the rise and we're expecting a lot more of that. Um, these cash flows that you thought maybe were two, three, four years, they start to get extended. They start to become three, four, five years. Um, and the only one that really benefits from that is the interest only strip because if you own a principal bond, a CMBS principal bond, it trades at 90 cents on the dollar and you're expecting to get par back in two years and you don't get par back in three years, it hurts your yield. Um, so we think this is kind of a, a fascinating um, opportunity on that side, because just given the wall of maturity that we all know is coming, the 1.5 trillion of CRE debt that's coming due before the end of 25 and the, and, you know, the stress in the regional banking system and this in the fact that the CMBS market is down. CMBS issuance is down well over 90% from 2021 um, year to date today. Um, we, ju- we just think that there, there's going to be a massive need to kind of kick the can. And, and I don't mean that in necessarily a negative way. It can be a positive. You know, some of these loans just need a little bit more time. Um, you know, there are plenty of loans that are impaired or are going to take losses and keys will come back. But I think there's a much bigger opportunity out there where you have loans that were 50, 60 LTV at issuance, and today maybe they're 80, 90. Um, and you know, just because the, they have a higher leverage point, um, there's still equity in the deal, and the sponsor most likely will want to keep um, the keys. So you know, some extensions you know, are good extensions, and you know, I think that that will be a really useful tool for the special servicers in the next few years. So I wanted to talk about this wall of maturities. Um, it seems like a lot of the you know the reason that we're seeing this now is because debt was so cheap in 2021 and there was such a such a rush to obtain refinancings for really cheap so can you talk about how the cheap debt of 2021 and the low interest rate environment has kind of contributed to this wall of maturities that we're going to see yeah, absolutely. So you know, the stresses we're seeing today are first and foremost coming from floating rate debt, right? So you've got a lot of this floating rate debt out there that was uh, originally when it was when it was originated, it was two or three year floating rate debt with some extension options. Um, and, and a lot of times you'd have the, the borrower would purchase an interest rate cap on that. So what's happening now is these interest rate caps, which are just protection for higher interest rates, just like they sound, uh, they're rolling off. 
But when you were purchasing these things uh, two or three years ago, when interest rates were pegged at zero and, vol and, and rate volatility was so low, these were extremely cheap to purchase. And now what's happening is something you might have spent 50 or 100 grand on, depending on the size of the interest rate cap, is going to cost you millions of dollars. And a lot of these, these borrowers can't afford that. So they're having a really tough time, you know, making a decision. You know, if they have equity left in the deal, they want to, you know, they think they can reposition the asset or they, they, they can turn around the asset. Um, they're they're going to do their best, but the cost of debt is so much higher. The cost of interest rate caps are so much higher that, you know, in some cases they're not going to have any choice. Um, so that low interest rate, that teaser float, low floating rate specifically um, is what's going to cause a lot of the near term problems. Um, your traditional CMBS conduit fixed rate loan, that's 10 years. So, you know, if it was issued in 2021, there's still plenty of time for these things to work themselves out in a good fashion for the CMBS trusts and the, and the sponsors and the borrowers. So um, I, I think the fixed rate debt, you know, it, there will be issues uh, for sure, but you know, the, the majority of this stuff is 10 year fixed. So you're still sitting on these, you know, three and a half percent coupons. And, and hopefully as we go over time, NOI increases, the property improves, performance improves, and the sponsor's in a better place by the time 2031 hits. So that's where the extensions come in as a potential solution. I think that the extensions will come in as a potential solution. I mean, most of the IOs that are out there are fixed rate off a of fixed rate deal. So you have to buy them off of season deals that are coming up to maturity. Um, so it, it just depends on where you're playing. Um, you don't have IO off of series CLOs. Uh, that would be an interesting product, actually. But um, yeah, so the, the IOs are, are mostly fixed rate and, and you're trying to buy season things that will extend. But I think from a credit perspective and, and impairment and, and, and losses and, and delinquencies, where that's going to come from, a lot of it's going to come from the floating rate debt uh, in the next you know, 12 to 18 months. Got it. So we've seen a lot more defaults on the office side occur already. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges with not only you know refinancing in a much more expensive capital markets environment, but also refinancing office, which is really struggling. Yeah, a lot of the investors I talk to today, <laughs> no one wants to touch office, and it's really the uncertainty, right? We we haven't got our arms around, and now maybe the market's finally waking up to the data that you know most cities are kind of hovering around fifty percent occupancy. Um, so you know if that's the new normal, valuations have to come down drastically. Um, I'm a big believer in work from home. Um, I think it's here to stay some, some sort of hybrid model. You know, I don't think there's going to be a massive wave of hundred percent remote work, but I do think that, you know, people have spoken and, and they really want to be able to have the flexibility of working, you know, one, two, three days a week, depending on what they do. I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't believe a recession is going to cure that. Um, I think that that's something that, you know, technology has come so far and, and you've kind of let the genie out of the bottle that people are going to continue to to require to work from home a little bit. Um, so this is this is this is not a cyclical issue. This is a secular issue that we're just going to have to deal with. And there's going to be a lot of pain um, because no one will refinance or I shouldn't say no one will refinance, but it's very difficult to get um, a mortgage now on a kind of B or C office property, just given the uncertainty around valuations and, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, people will have a better, you know, feel for what valuations will look like, what occupancy rates will look like, um, you know, how much you can charge in rent. But I think we're, we're pretty far away from that. We're just digesting the fact that work from home is here to stay. 
And so I wanted to go back. You, you know, you called it a train wreck or a, you know, a train wreck to be or a train wreck to come. How do you see this affecting CMBS investors? There's going to be a lot of losses. CMBS is a non-recourse product. So that's, there's a lot of things that are good for the bar in CMBS. That's probably the most important thing. Usually we also give the lowest, uh, the, the most proceeds and the lowest rate. Um, there's a lot of bad things about CMBS that the borrowers complain about. It's very difficult sometimes to work um, with special servicers. It's not as easy as necessarily going to your local bank and, and, and talking to your local you know, branch manager or, or loan officer um, to work out uh, some sort of extension or, or, or some sort of modification. Um, so it's a bit of an opaque world working with special servicers. And, and to be honest with you, they're, they're a bit overwhelmed now. And I think they're going to be overwhelmed for a while now, just given all the requests, all, all, all really all the assets that are heading the special servicing. So uh, today in this market, uh, you know, some of the busiest people in, in our profession will definitely be in the special servicing world. Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of them do amazing jobs um, and, and you're starting to see more pop up. KKR just started one in the last year. Um, it's going to be a very lucrative business um, because there's going to be a lot of assets that are stuck in special servicing for a long time. There'll be a lot of modifications given, um, which, you know, from a special servicing perspective is good. You collect a percent fee right there. Um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a long drawn out process and it's a complex process and, and i don't think anyone knows exactly what the market's going to look like three years forward um in each sector uh but for us you know i think that as we kind of either recession or we believe we're heading into a recession the sectors that will you know the commercial real estate as a whole is going to struggle the question is what's not what's not going to come back the way it was back in 2019, whether we get through this, you know, when we get this through this recession and that goes back to office. It's just, it's changed forever. Um, just like the lower quality regional mall has changed forever. Um, you know, the lower quality office has changed forever and, and, and we just got to digest this. And for CMBS investors at the bottom of the capital stack, that's going to mean large losses. If you, if you look back to 2008, and again, I think this is going to play out differently. Um, even though commercial real estate's at the eye of the storm this time, I'm, I'm not comparing. I don't think it's apples to apples. But 2006, 2007, and 2008 vintages, they all took on average between 10 and 15% losses. So 10 to 15% losses is going to wipe out a lot of investment grade CMBS bonds. Um, so you know people are, need to be prepared for that. Um, a lot of those bonds sit in at mutual funds and pension funds and hedge funds and um, you know, th their losses are coming. It's just a matter of, you know, can we digest and can we get through this and, and kind of to the other side? Do you think um, those mutual funds, the hedge funds, you know, the CMBS investors are being a lot more particular about what their, you know, makeup, their CMBS kind of makeup looks like compared to what they were doing in 2021? Absolutely. I, you know, you'll see in 2023, what we've seen at the top of the capital stack is a bit of a stability, um, you know, outside of this late, uh, latest rate vol, which, you know, has kind of scared everybody in fixed income. Um, you know, you are seeing AAA CMBS spreads hold in there, whether they be on private CMBS conduit deals or, you know, floating rate deals. There is demand at the top of the capital stack. What you're seeing at the bottom is it's effectively bidless. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of series CLOs and CMBS conduit transactions where you're seeing where we used to place a triple B minus bond where now it's just retained by the BP spire. 
Um, and that's good and bad, right? It's bad for liquidity. Um, it's good that the BP buyer can now attain a higher yield on an investment grade bond. But it's also the flip side is, you know, how much, how long can we do that, right? We're supposed to be selling our investment grade bonds. We're supposed to be recycling capital. So um, the what I keep saying is the CMBS credit curve continues to steepen. It's been steepening for the last, you know, year and a half to 24 months. Um, and, and I think it's going to continue because we now have these loss expectations that have gone from historical CMBS losses being three or 4% to, you know, possibly we're going to get to double digits again, like post 2008. And I wanted to talk about the lenders. Is there incentive to work with the borrower here? I think, you know, that's something we at The Real Deal talk a lot about is these workouts and whether lenders will would like these book these you know assets on their books, which I don't think so. Um, CMBS is obviously very different from like a private, you know, Deutsche Bank handing out a two hundred million dollar loan. They foreclose; it's on their books. Obviously, CMBS is different. But do you think that there is incentive to come to modifications and workouts? Yes, I mean I do. I think it's twofold, right? So if you just look at the CMBS market, special servicers are incentivized to modify. Um, it's in their financial, it's in their best financial interest because they're going to collect a modification fee and the, you know, the asset will be in special servicing. They don't want to foreclose on you. Um, so if there's equity left in the deal and they're willing to, the sponsor's willing to hang on to the keys and give it another go, um, you know, I think that that's, you're going to see a lot of extensions. The majority of modifications are going to be extensions in my opinion. Now, the other side is just, just from a CRE debt perspective. You have a lot of banks that, are, that own this debt and think regional banks, right? And, you know, they're not equipped to take the keys back, um, you know, but the flip side is, you know, extending and, and kind of hoping for the best, maybe not be in their best interest either. So if they're, if they have the capital and they're able to take some losses, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of loan sales, I, I think for sure. Um, there's going to be a lot of strategies around that. Uh, your local regional bank does not want to foreclose on local businesses. It's not a good look. Um, so for the most part, that's, you know, where the private debt funds will step in or the hedge funds or the private equity funds. And, you know, they're willing to do the, the dirty work. Um, and if they have to foreclose, they'll foreclose. But um, it just depends. It's, I think it's going to be a bank by bank basis and who can take the capital hits. Right. You're, you're finding out a lot of different things about bank balance sheets this year that I don't think any of us was, were hoping to find out. <laughs> so the last thing is there still have been you know, a number of big CMBS deals close this year. Um, I know Westfield Century City in LA, I'm giving LA examples, I'm in LA, so I am more familiar, but, you know, Westfield Century City closed on a big one. The Americana at Brand also closed a big CMBS deal. We sold Blackstone Refinance, um, the Hotel Dell in San Diego. Tell me, you know, there's clearly still a market out there. Yeah, I mean, what you just touched on, all those deals, those are very high quality trophy assets. So there's there's still money out there for trophy assets. Um, we're very bullish on all really trophy CRE across the board. Um, there, there's a lot of capital to be had um, you know, or capital to be deployed out there um, that needs a home in this higher uh, interest rate environment. But people want to sleep, you know, sleep peacefully at night. And so, so lending to, uh, you know, the Hotel Dell in San Diego, like that that's that's a money good asset you know trophy luxury hotel uh we would love to lend on that <laughs> we would love to buy the bonds off those deals um you know unfortunately a lot of times what happens is in our market especially in the bond side of things 
assets like that, they trade, they've traded very tight and don't necessarily meet our hurdles for a return perspective, but there's money out there to be had. If it's a great asset, a trophy asset where people don't have to worry about a default down the road. Um, but it's that kind of next tier down where the uncertainty comes out and whether that's, if we're talking about hospitality, for example, you know, you, your luxury, um, leisure hotel is doing amazing and, and kind of blown 2019 numbers away, but your business travels hasn't come back. Um, higher expenses are eating into kind of the smaller players in the hotel market. Um, so the, it's kind of a dream scenario for a credit picker where there's going to be a lot of winners um, and there's going to be a lot of losers, but it, it's all about kind of doing the legwork from a credit perspective and an underwrite, underwriting perspective. Deconstruct airs every Monday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Or you can listen at therealdeal.com. For comments on this episode, or on the series, or if you have a guest or idea you'd like to pitch, feel free to reach me or Susanna at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we're talking about distress across the multifamily sector. Tune in then.